Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, Tyler Epp. He is the general manager of Hall of Fame Racing. He's going to join us to take us inside a NASCAR team. What's the annual budget of a NASCAR team? How much do primary sponsors pay to sponsor a NASCAR? We're also going to talk to Tyler about the success of Toyota since his team races Toyotas and the big controversy surrounding the use of Goodyear tires. That's coming up in segment three. In segment four, SportsSense, Daryl Morey. He is the GM of the Houston Rockets. The Rockets have reeled off the second longest winning streak in the history of the NBA and have been the story of the second half of the season. Morey is an MIT guy. He uses quantitative analysis to evaluate players, and his unique approach has taken the league by storm during his first year on the job. Don't miss my conversation with Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm flying solo this week, but I do have my producer, Bobby Corser, in the studio. Bobby, how are you doing? Very well, Brian. How are you? Good. I'm looking forward to, I know you're our auto racing expert, but I'm looking forward to catching up with Tyler Epp. You know, NASCAR is such an enormous business. We're dealing with millions and millions of dollars. I think a lot of people may not understand how that all comes together, how much it costs to uh, field a team, how the drivers get paid, how much sponsors pay. I think it's still be a good conversation. It's going to be awesome. And people really do not realize how much money is involved with the team. I mean, you drive a car for a living, but you still don't realize how much money it takes to get it done. Now, Daryl Morey, the GM of the Houston Rockets, funny story, I was on a bus in Beijing, China, headed to the Yao Ming uh, Steve Nash Gala last September, and I'm sitting next to this guy, and I didn't recognize him, and I introduced myself, and I said, so what do you do? And he says, well, I'm the new general manager of the Houston Rockets, and he was there to support Yao Ming, and this guy is a number savant. We had Jeff Ma from ProTrade on the show last week. Here's another number savant. I'm looking forward to that conversation coming up in segment four. But first, lots of headlines coming up. CBS, they are raking it in with their ad inventory for the upcoming NCAA tournament. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, 
passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, CBS's ad inventory just before the start of the Division I men's basketball tournament. It's 95% sold out. Overall, ad revenues are up 10 to 15% from last year. This according to the Sports Business Journal. And a 30-second spot for early primetime coverage on CBS. Those are going for $350,000 for a 30-second spot. If you want a spot during the Final Four, that'll cost you $1.3 million. Now, we remember just about a month ago, a month and a half ago, the Super Bowl, $2.7 million. For a 30-second spot during the Super Bowl, so you can see the comparison, $1.3 million for the Final Four. March Madness On Demand, this is also getting lots of advertisers. They're projecting they could make 20 to $25 million in revenues this year. Now, Bobby, Media Life magazine is reporting that behind the NFL playoffs, which generated $643 million last year, The NCAA basketball tournament is the next highest grossing event in sports. $545 million this event is expected to gross. You know, everyone loves March Madness, and it seems to make more and more money for the NCAA and for companies like CBS every year. I completely agree. I mean, looking at the numbers, what they say last year, something like 130 million people watched some part of the tournament. That's a lot of people tuning in over, you know, yes, it is elongated. Yes, they play it over multiple weeks, but still, that's a lot of people watching basketball. So we'll be talking lots of NCAA tournament stuff next week. Uh, Stay tuned for that. Our next headline, NBC is pressing for the Boston Bruins to be slated as the New York Rangers opponent at Yankee Stadium in the NHL's second Winter Classic game. This according to the New York Post. Now, this is the thing I don't like, Bobby is this could be the last event ever at Old Yankee Stadium before they close it down and move into New Yankee Stadium. I don't like that. I think the last event at Yankee Stadium should be a Yankees game. Oh, I completely agree. But, you know, to top it off, the last game that should be there is Game 7 of the World Series. Well, yeah, that would be nice if you're a Yankees fan. But regardless, that is the house that Ruth built, not the house that Bobby Orr built or someone else. I mean, this should be... It should be baseball and not hockey. Now, a Bruins-Rangers matchup would likely be promoted as the first of a home-and-home between the original six rivals, and they would try and schedule a game the following year at Fenway Park. So, again, we've said on the show many times that, hey, the NHL should play all their games outside. Well, now the NHL, hey, they must be listening to this show because now they're talking about Yankee Stadium. They're talking about Fenway Park. They're even talking about having a game at Wrigley Field. Our next headline, Billy Crystal, the comedian. He hit leadoff, or he didn't hit because he didn't get a hit, but he batted leadoff for the New York Yankees this Thursday in an exhibition game. He was celebrating his 60th birthday. What a dream come true. Uh, Most of the Yankee regulars played in the game. I thought it was a good PR move, Bobby, with all the bad PR the Yankees have had with the departure of Joe Torre. A lot of people not happy about that. Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit, and the performance-enhancing drugs. Alex Rodriguez and his ugly contract negotiations. 
this is kind of a lighter PR story, and the Yankees need more of these stories, frankly. Oh, it's great. And you know what? He actually, he actually hung with them. He got a couple of foul balls. He ultimately struck out in the end. The one thing I was disappointed, though, is I didn't see him come off the bench with the bench-clearing brawl. I was kind of disappointed about that. But other than that, I thought he did a great job. But seriously, I mean, you know, there were people that said this was ridiculous. Who amongst us wouldn't love to suit up in the uniform of our favorite Major League Baseball team, taken at bat? I mean, that is a dream come true. So the people who say that it's ridiculous, come on, get over yourself. Our next headline, Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Selig. His tax returns have uh, been made public this week, and we find out that he made $15 million. He is the highest paid commissioner in sports Gary Bettman earned $5.9 million. He's the commissioner of the NHL. Uh, Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, he made $11.2 million. And David Stern is only making $10 million. Bobby, I think David Stern should be top of that list, followed closely by Roger Goodell, Bud Selig third, and Gary Bettman is fourth on the list. I completely agree with you. I mean, listen, you and I have both said, and especially you have said on the show over and over and over again, David Stern is the best commissioner of professional sports. That's not right that he's third on that list. Our next headline, ESPN's coverage of the North Carolina-Duke men's basketball game last Saturday earned a 4.0. That means over 3.8 million households tuned in, 5.6 million viewers in all. It was the most watched men's college basketball game in the history of ESPN. That is saying a lot. And our last headline of the week, this is something that we talk about uh, a lot on this show. Ethiopian distance runner Halle, I don't even know his last name, Gerbo Saslasi or something like that. He is the first prominent athlete to pull out of the Beijing Olympics. And he basically says he has concerns about the effects of the city's pollution, heat, and humidity on his health. So he is not going to run in the marathon. He will run in the 10,000 meters. But I wonder, Bobby, if this will open up doors for other athletes to say, you know what? That pollution, it's not going to work for me. I've got health concerns, and I'm going to boycott the Olympics as well. We know the U.S. is not going to have their athletes in there you know, in, right up until the time they compete, and they're right. The pollution is just too bad. Coming up next, we are going to step into the technology lab. We haven't been in there in a while. Tyler Epp, the general manager of Hall of Fame Racing. They're a NASCAR team. We're going to learn all about what it's like to run a NASCAR team with Tyler Epp. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Bringing you 
up to speed on the latest breakthroughs in the world of sports. Let's enter the Technology Lab. My guest is Tyler Epp. He's the general manager for Hall of Fame Racing. J.J. Yaley, who drives the number 96 DLP Texas Instrument car, is the team's driver. Tyler, uh, you've been on the show. Thanks for uh, joining us again. Hey, my pleasure, Brian. Glad to be on. So I know you've been doing a lot of traveling lately. First, tell our listeners, if you would, is the general manager of a NASCAR team. What are your main duties? I, mean, I think it's a little bit different for every team, so I'll, I'll hesitate to make sure and define it for the industry. But I think that, um, for me, uh, I focus you know, a majority of my time on day-to-day operations, both on the racing and the business side. Uh, most NASCAR teams are divided you know, loosely into two sides of the business. You have the competition, which is the racing side, which is uh, you know, shocks and strategy and engineering and the other side of the business is much more the sponsorship business operations building that kind of stuff so um i've got a lot of really good help and a lot of really great people here at hall of fame and and it makes my job uh, much much easier throughout the day but i guess the the big uh, piece of it that that doesn't ever get really talked about is people and you know just like in any other sport you know we certainly have a huge mechanical component component to what we deal with every weekend but it, this sport is about people and it is about Putting the right people together, it's about communication between your smart engineers, your your guys that have been on you know crew chiefs for years, your drivers, your spotters, um, and making sure the people back at the shop are communicated with and communicated to. Um, it's a real, real neat opportunity to put a bunch of people with a very, very different backgrounds and different expertises together um, to try to create something pretty special. It sounds like a lot of fun. Give us some idea. How many people are you overseeing? How many people make up a NASCAR team? Depends on how many cars, Brian. So, you know, in our case, we're a, we're a real young team, only in our third year of, uh, of existence. So we're still growing. We're right now, we only run one race car um, every weekend. You know, the Hendrick Motorsports, for instance, runs four. Joe Gibbs Racing, our partner, runs three. You see a lot of company, or you see a lot of race teams with, with multiple cars. We only have one, and we do not build our own engines. We uh, buy our engines from Joe Gibbs Racing, which is fairly common. There are not really that many engine providers. Um, so basically, we, we run a little, uh, we've got about 49 people in the shop right now, which is actually pretty good for a, uh, a one-car team. Yeah, no but, kidding. And, yeah, we have good engineering support, but, you know, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing has 300-plus. You know, Hendrick is over 500 now. Richard Childress Racing is over 400. So these are big operations, you know, and with a lot of moving parts. And, and, and structurally, that's a big challenge and where I focus a majority of my energy. Tyler, how much would you say, and I know you know you just talked about all the different ranges of NASCAR teams from your team to Hendrick Motorsports, but let's focus on your team for a moment. Okay. Um, how much would you say, what's your budget? How much are you spending in a year? Oh, you run anywhere from you know, 15 to $25 million a year annually. Now, part of that depends on your sponsorship revenue. You, you, know, you obviously budget for winnings uh, and bonuses. You budget on associate sponsorship revenue you plan to bring in. Um, but yeah, I would say that, you know, one, one car generally in the sport, and I can speak specifically for hall of fame racing, we budget between 15 and $25 million annually to run, to run our operation. Wow. I mean, that's just amazing. And then, you know, yeah. I know we've talked about this last time we had you on, but remind our, our listeners, um, if you're one of the primary sponsors, obviously you've got DLP and Texas instruments and you have to tell me exactly what they're paying. But if you're on that hood, uh, what are you paying for a hood placement? Well, it's a little bit different, too. It depends, too, on who's driving the race car because you have to understand there's no franchising in, in NASCAR and there's no revenue sharing. So we operate kind of as a, as a standalone company, and we have the opportunity <laughs> to race in the NASCAR series. So 
we, you know, we, it a little bit depends on how much you pay your driver. And, you know, the top drivers these days are making anywhere from eight to 10, eight to $10 million base salary. So wow. you can get, you know, and then there's, and there's obviously guys bringing in 20, 25 million, you know, when you start counting endorsements, when you start counting, uh, you know, bonuses and you start counting winnings and things like that. Uh, most drivers, um, I would say your average top 20 driver makes somewhere probably between three and $5 million and, and roughly 40% of the winnings. So, you know, they, they, they bring in a hefty salary, and the sponsorship certainly has to go to help, you know, fund that. Um, I think that, you know, an average primary sponsor is going to pay for a, for a top 20 to 25 cup car, you're going to pay somewhere between 15 and $20 million to do that. You know, it's interesting what you just said, and I think a lot of people miss this. If you're a tennis player or a golfer like Tiger Woods, if you win a tournament, you get 100% of the purse. Yeah, you're paying your caddy or you're paying your coach, but in NASCAR, if you win a race— you're not getting 100% of the purse. It goes back to the team, and from what it sounds like you're saying, the driver typically gets about 40% of the purse. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, certainly uh, there's a lot of different deals out there, but I think it's pretty safe to say that a driver will take home 40% of that purse. And, and, and the real reason is because the driver didn't do everything. You know, This is a team sport. There's a pit crew. There's a crew chief. There's a whole team of engineers that gives that driver the race car. You know, And I end up taking that 60% and divvying that up between – you know, the 50 people back at the race shop and, and, you know, then hopefully pull some back to put back in the team. Um, so it's, you know, we, we really count on that, you know, on that uh, financial revenue from winnings every year. We are joined by Tyler Up. He is the general manager of Hall of Fame Racing. Tyler, let's talk about Toyota. You guys race a Toyota car, I believe, and Toyota's yeah. had some good success so far this season. Um, talk about the success of a foreign car. Yeah, it's interesting. It doesn't feel foreign to us, Brian. It really doesn't. We, uh, you know, we have great people over at Toyota. Lee White and Andy Graves kind of head up their um, day-to-day operation, and uh, they're both really good partners for us. And they, they really provide us some some really outstanding, you know, engineering support, some data support, um, engine support. Um, so competitively, we're really, really proud to be associated with Toyota and business-wise too. Um, you know, Jeff Morad and Tom Garfinkel are uh, my bosses, and are the primary owners of Hall of Fame Racing, and they uh, they came in <clears throat> excuse me they came in Daytona and had the opportunity to meet Doctor Toyota, who I understand spells it with a D, <laughs> uh, where the last T is, which I didn't realize. That's um, interesting. Um, but it was very interesting, and for these guys who rub shoulders with um, kind of the big hitters in the sports and business industries, you know, on somewhat of a daily basis, um, you know, it was really interesting for them, and uh, they they have some really good stories about that. So. Um, they're great partners on and off the racetrack. Um, it's it's an absolute privilege to race Camrys, and we're really really happy with our uh, you know current situation with them, and we're really looking forward to having a really long term and uh, very profitable relationship on uh, for both the race team and for Toyota. Tyler, your relationship, the reason you're with Hall of Fame Racing, is because of Jeff Morad, who is the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks managing partner. He's been a guest on this show. Troy Aikman, Roger Staubach are minority owners of Hall of Fame Racing. Talk about your interaction with the ownership group, if you would. Yeah, I mean, and that's, I guess, when you ask my job responsibilities, uh, certainly day-to-day, uh, I, I don't think of it as a responsibility, but I spend a significant amount of time um, interfacing with, you know, our owners. Um, you know, they're the ones who made the investment in, in myself and the other 48 people that we have on staff here, including JJ. And, you know, to an extent, you know, we, we work part of the pressure we feel every day is to make sure that we do good for them. And we do well for them, and that's that's part of the opportunity. And I, I spend an, uh, an extraordinary amount of time. I, I I don't think a day goes by when I don't talk to to at least one of our ownership group, if not all of them or multiple 
uh, guys that, that own, you know, a small percentage of the team. You know, Troy has been extraordinarily supportive. Um, and Rogers just brings a very unique uh, perspective to it. And, and there's a, you know, a group of uh, board of advisors as well who represent, you know, CEOs and of sports and business, uh, you know, entities throughout the country. And it's a real privilege actually. And speaking quite frankly, it is, um, it's the, the best, the biggest ancillary benefit that, that I receive personally, uh, the opportunity to learn from guys who've been successful in both the sports and the business world on a very, very high level is an, is an absolute privilege for me. Yeah. I mean, you look at that group and it's diverse. And like you said, uh, that's just an impressive uh, group of guys, a collection of guys. I bet, you know, there's probably no question that goes unanswered because all of them have such uh, great experience across the board. Yeah, Brian, think about it this way. I mean, one of the things we're really trying to do to, to kind of, and, you know, certainly every team has the idea that, you know, they're going to change the way we do things and we're going to do it a little bit differently and a little bit better. And one of the ways that, you know, we believe we can do that is through our measurement of people and, you know, some real analysis and not really necessarily personality traits or anything like that, but really putting together um, some very uh, effective ways to measure the types of people we need in certain jobs instead of just guesswork, which is, you know, very similar to, you know, I interface a little bit with uh, some of the guys at the D-backs and, and talk a lot, to, a lot about those guys and how they, you know, manage their players. And I do the same thing, and we're really trying to work to, you know, put a little bit more of a system in place. But when I get into a situation where I'm not sure what to do or, trying to set up a system and how to develop some of these measurement tools, you know, I, I have the opportunity to pick up the phone and call Bob Damon, who's, you know, one of our, uh, on a board of advisors and a minority owner in the race team. And, you know, he's, he works at Corn Ferry, which is the, uh, one of the premier, you know, headhunter uh, firms in the, in the world. And, you know, so he can sit there and he places executives, you know, all day long. And so for him to be able to, to talk to me about how he places people it makes you know my race, the race team here, look uh, pretty minimal in the grand scheme of things. But uh, it's just an extraordinarily uh, valuable resource for us. Tyler, just a few minutes left. Uh, Goodyear, lots of controversy yep. with the tires last week. Uh, what's your take on this? I mean, for the average person who doesn't understand this, you know, we read the headlines that Tony Stewart and some of the other drivers were very upset with the tires. How does this all uh, shake out? You know, from a from a business perspective, Brian, I think it's really pretty simple. Now, it just so so all of your listeners understand, all the teams race the same tire every week. So the compound and the construction of the tire is the same for every team on any given weekend. Now, for instance, we'll race a different tire this weekend in Bristol than we did in Atlanta last weekend, based on the the construction of the racetrack and you know the the way that they're going to load up the cars, um, you know, uh, geometrically for each racetrack. So. You know, Goodyear runs data, and their primary objective from NASCAR and Goodyear's point of view is to provide a sturdy tire that doesn't blow um, and keeps the drivers and the team safe. And so in that vein, their, their tire situation in Atlanta and throughout the season so far has been successful. And so when Tony Stewart comes out and gives his opinion and other drivers are critical of, of the tire, I certainly understand where they're coming from. They're the ones who have to sit in the seat. But what the, the general public is kind of missing is that really Goodyear, um, quite frankly, is very happy with the performance of the tire. Now, are they going to go back and try to make it a little bit softer so it's a little more comfortable for the driver? Sure. But at the end of the day, the publicity they've received oh, <laughs> in yeah. the, past, the past week or 10 days is more than I've heard anybody talk about Goodyear over the past you know five years that I've been in and out of this garage. Well, and let's face it, it's not like these are consumer tires, so there's going to be a you know a decrease in sales of Goodyear tires because the public's afraid to go out and buy this tire. These are specialized tires. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. There's no tread on the tires, Brian. They're absolutely smooth, and there's a reason for that, and that's why we don't race in the rain. Another interesting you know, note on that is, you know, I don't remember exactly, but a couple of years ago, Goodyear signed a really long-term deal with NASCAR, and so part of the criticism that, that you've heard maybe this week or that people have heard around the sport is that you know, they're in the you know, third or fourth or fifth year of a really long-term deal, and they've kind of stopped worrying about you know, this little, little investment because they're not going anywhere. They pay a, an extremely, extremely large sum of money to be the official tire of NASCAR, and quite frankly, they don't care. Um, I have a hard time believing that um, based on the guys that I know at Goodyear. They certainly want everybody to be safe, and an accident that, you know, heaven forbid, would cost the driver you know, his life or, or would you know, put him in a very bad situation physically is the absolute last thing that Goodyear, NASCAR, or any of us want to see happen. Tyler, I appreciate your time. It's always great to catch up with you. You are my uh, NASCAR dictionary, my thesaurus. Uh, I'll tell you the quick story. A few years ago, we talked about NASCAR. I tried to talk about NASCAR on this show and uh, was erroneous with many of my understandings of the sport. Tyler sent me a note, and we've been good friends ever since. Uh, Tyler, thanks so much for taking time to join us. Good luck in Bristol this weekend. My pleasure, Brian. Love to have you at a race anytime. I'd love that. I'll have to do that one of these days. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Let me talk. Let it rain. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection, not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu, and they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Daryl Morey. He is the general manager of the Houston Rockets. The Houston Rockets have been the hottest team in the NBA this year, and they have won uh, 20 games in a row as of this taping. Uh, Daryl, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Appreciate it. So this is the longest win streak in the NBA in 37 years. It's the second longest win streak of all time. You haven't lost since January. Not bad for your uh, rookie season as the GM of the Rockets. Yeah, I mean, you can have great teams and be in the league for many years and not have something like this happen. So uh, we're all just trying to appreciate the ride. Uh, I think it's been a combination of uh, good team play and uh, obviously a healthy amount of good fortune to win this many in a row. Yeah, I mean, when you win this many in a row, uh, you got to have a little bit of luck. What has surprised you the most about this win streak? Well, I think the fact that when Yao Ming went out, uh, our uh, role players and Trace McGrady uh, really, uh, really stepped up and uh, have taken out as a personal, uh, personal mission to, uh, you know, to keep winning for Yao Ming. Uh, you know, their teammate uh, who uh, who's a huge part of the team and great friends with everybody. 
Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because a lot of people, I remember the reports after Yao was out for the season, a lot of people just wrote the team off and said, oh, it's only a matter of time until the streak ends and they kind of come back to earth, but it's been anything but that. Well, I think the analysis was uh, fairly simplistic on that. It was it was the uh, Yao's out, Rockets in trouble. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't much more complicated than that. And uh, no one bothered to check that last year with Yao out, our group, uh, rallied together and went 20-12. and 12. And so we had a lot of confidence internally uh, with Kemi Matumbo stepping in, Landry emerging, Scola, uh, Chuck Hayes coming in, that uh, we we had a good chance at, uh, at maintaining uh, some, sort of, some sort of winning um, attitude and w- keep winning ball games. But uh, no one could predict that we'd continue our streak and keep, it, keep rolling to 20. You know, Daryl, it's interesting. Teams throw lots of money at payroll. They stockpile, you know, these high draft picks. But chemistry is such an underrated thing, in my opinion, and it seems like you guys have such great chemistry. Talk about that a little bit, if you would. Well, I think it's uh, it's definitely true. It's a testament to the players and the coaching staff. Um, and uh, we try to acquire players uh, with those qualities who, you know, have what we call winning qualities, those who, you know, don't worry about how many minutes they're playing. Don't worry about their role. Uh, just do what the coach asks. And it, it turns out basketball is a, a big factor is really executing the game plan. And we've been we've been careful to acquire players and make trades to uh, get players who will just execute what the coach is asking. Uh, you obviously have to have a certain talent level, like Tracy is otherworldly. Uh, but over, overall, the uh, the role players have stepped in and, and done a great job as well. Yeah, a glue guy like Shane Battier. I mean, to me, he seems like, you know, a guy that every team needs. He does so many different things. He's probably a good locker room guy. He came from a winning program at Duke. Um, you know, I know you traded, uh, what, Stromile Strift and, and the rights to Rudy Gay to acquire him, but uh, he's worked out real well for you guys. Yeah, he's been, he's been fantastic. Uh, he's exactly what you described. He's, he's one at every level. Uh, I think, uh, you know, that's one of the themes of a lot of our acquisitions. Scola's won the Olympics, won internationally. We we try to get guys who have, have won at, at uh, every stop, and Shane is no different. And, uh, you know, it's really hard to to, to uh, minimize what he's done. He's the coach on the floor sort of thing is overplayed a bit. But with, with Shane, he, he literally reads the scouting reports that are prepared um, mostly for the coaching staff, uh, and he, he memorizes them more than the coaching staff. And then while he's on the floor, he's directing traffic for everyone. He's plus he's uh, you know he's defensive player of the year, and it's amazing he doesn't get more uh, attention or recognition for that. So I guess we know what his career is going to be after his playing days are done. We're joined by Daryl Morey, the general manager of the Red Hot Houston Rockets. Daryl, let's talk about you. You know, there's 30 GMs out there. Uh, you're the only one in the league that's not a former player, coach, or a scout. You didn't take that same path. Talk about the path that you took to become GM of the Houston Rockets, if you would. Well, I think, as you mentioned, it's a little bit different. Uh, I wouldn't call it out as different as, as you just made it sound there. I think there's quite a few folks who didn't play or or coach. Some did sort of short apprenticeships as right. a scout, like a Brian Colangelo, who's been executive of the year twice. Um, but... Uh, I did obviously come from a very different uh, background, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, my work career before I got into pro sports. 
Uh, I worked at that thing for many years. The book that's highlighted in that book, Moneyball, that uh, that uh, uh, came out five or six years ago. Great book. Uh, I worked there. I left the industry for a while because it's, uh, as many listeners who may be trying to break into the industry, it's depressingly difficult, and uh, I couldn't break in. And it wasn't until about uh, ten years later I got my shot while working as a uh, as an investment banking consultant, where I worked uh, on the group to buy the Celtics, where I got a shot to work with a team. And uh, um, you know, five six years later, I've uh, obviously had some real uh, strong opportunities sent my way, and. Uh, trying to take advantage of them. Yeah, I mean, you're a numbers guy. You went to MIT. You use charts and spreadsheets to kind of evaluate basketball talent. Uh, as you said, quantitative analysis, uh, Billy Bean, Theo Epstein, Kevin Pritchard in Portland. Um, talk about maybe your two to three core philosophies, your approach to being a general manager, if you would. Well, I think uh, as with any any manager, no matter which industry, uh, I think what's being found is that uh, the key sort of skill is decision making. Uh, it's you know, as you pointed out, it's not if you were a former player. Uh, although I think all else equal, that that is an advantage. Um, that said, I think uh, the key key skill is decision making, and uh, what's been found in not only uh, basketball but baseball and other industries is if you if you augment your decision making with some objective analysis using quantitative approaches. Uh, it can only uh, it can only help you because it allows you to uh, it allows you to ask questions that uh, that might not uh, you might not realize otherwise. And often decisions are made by who has the most political power and who's the loudest guy in the room, uh, or other random potential reasons. And uh, by using objective data to help guide your decisions, the, you know the the data doesn't. Uh, the data can lie if you use it wrong, but it doesn't lie if you're using it appropriately. So when you're looking at a player, um, are there two to three stats or uh, you know just things that you look at, traits, qualities that that player has? I mean, obviously, you, you've done a great job so far building this team, and you found some diamonds in the rough. What are you looking for when you're looking at a basketball player? Well, I think uh, to the point that we made earlier, I think one thing uh, – one thing we look at is, is just has that player won? Has he been on winning teams? Has the team won when he's on the floor? Uh, and how does it compare uh, when he's not on the floor? Uh, that's that's uh, one thing we look at. We also look at, you know, basketball is a game of back and forth, and it's not uh, it's not how many points you score. It's uh, each time down the floor do you get a good shot. And we look for players to not only take but also generate good shots for their teammates. And uh, and then we look for players who do all the dirty work and uh, generate extra possessions by getting steals and rebounds and, and things like that. And it turns out those things are big difference makers in whether or not a team wins. So f- things like effective field goal percentage, uh, free throw edge, uh, maybe rebounding and turnover rates, those are things that uh, might come into play. Yeah, those are what differentiates good teams. Uh, and uh, for sure that's, that's pretty much been just like on base and slugging in baseball – uh, you know, are the key things that differentiate teams there. Uh, in basketball, it's, as you mentioned, effective field goal percentage, uh, rebounding percentage, turnover turnover differential, and uh, free throws, uh, free throw differential. And um, those things are what differentiate teams. And then we have to work on the player level. Uh, and often those same things apply, but sometimes they don't apply in sort of interesting ways. 
Daryl, I used to work for the Portland Trailblazer. I think I told you that when uh, we met in China. And Rick Adelman was the coach when I was there. Well, he's your coach now, and he's doing a fantastic job. Talk about the decision to hire Rick Adelman and, and what he's done since you hired him. Well, we were just extraordinary when uh, when we when we uh, made a change that Coach Adelman was out there. Uh, you know, he when we uh, we we basically chased him. It was the uh, he was a 17-year-old uh, hot girl at the dance for us <laughs> in the in the coaching uh, regime. We um, we we were uh, looking for the best coach out there, and every way we looked at it, and everything we heard in our in our reference was that uh, he was the best one. So uh, we we went after him, and uh, luckily he was uh, willing to take one more run at coaching, and saw us as a good opportunity. Yeah, no, I'm very very happy for him, and happy for you guys. That you have him. So you and I met last September in China. We attended the Yao Ming Steve Nash Gala. It raised two point five million dollars for several children's charities. Yao is obviously one of the cornerstones of your franchise. When I was over there, I found it interesting the relationship that Yao has with the the Chinese Basketball Association. But I imagine you probably have to remain in close contact with them because he still plays for the team. I know there was a lot of discussion when he was first signed by the Rockets. How often do you talk to them, and what's that relationship like? Yeah, we talk to them quite a bit, either uh, directly. They've they've come to the United States a few times. I've obviously been to China, the Chinese basketball officials, uh, or indirectly through Yao Ming, uh, what we call Team Yao. There's, there's, uh, and you met them in uh, in China. Uh, probably four or five key uh, people who uh, uh, who manage Yao's uh, career that he's chosen, and uh, at the, we feel like, really, at the end of the day, the Yao Ming is shared between uh, the Rockets, the NBA, and and China. Do they have concerns? I mean, you know, obviously he's out for the season. I know the Olympics are coming up. Do they have any concerns about the rigors and, and wear of the NBA schedule? It's an 82-game schedule plus playoffs. Well, I think uh, uh, our representative, our doctors, and the, and the doctors uh, at the CBA. Uh, are both equally careful on, on monitoring that. And, uh, you know, I think Yao's uh, level of intensity, he'll obviously play in the Olympics. That's his lifelong dream to play in the Olympics for his, for his home country. He's going to play in the Olympics uh, if uh, if his rehab goes as scheduled. And, uh, and you know, everyone is all interests are aligned here to make sure Yao's career is, is well taken care of. We've got just a few minutes left. Uh Gosh, so many trades around the trading deadline and some big names. Pau Gasol, Shaquille O'Neal, Jason Kidd, just to name a few. Uh, give me your thoughts, if you would, about the Western Conference. I mean, I don't remember a year where it's ever been this competitive. And I think, what is it, five games that separates the number one seed from the number eight seed? Well, your memory's good. The, the best team ever to not make the playoffs will happen this year unless we have some sort of you know major collapse. Uh, among one of the nine teams, which uh, don't anticipate. Uh, so the best team ever will miss the playoffs, and uh, it's a little bit uh, frustrating. It's great for the fans and great for fans of the NBA. I think each round of the West, it's going to be the greatest Western Conference playoffs ever, uh, in my opinion. And and I think, uh, but it's frustrating if you're in the middle of it. We're trying to find our way to the top of the Western Conference, and we definitely want home court, but Frankly, uh, getting as long as you get home court, I'm not sure there's much difference of the seeding because you're going to face an extremely tough opponent in the uh, in the first round. 
Yeah, I mean, Golden State's in the 8 slot right now. Denver's in the 9 slot. I don't think anyone's licking their chops to face either one of those teams. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, all, nine, all nine teams that are in this race uh, are ex- extremely good teams. And, uh, and the first round is unbelievable. And last year was, you know, <laughs> was really great as well. Uh, obviously, with, with Golden State came in super hot and, and beating a really good Dallas team. Last question for you before I let you go. The NCAA tournament kicks off next week. I know you can't discuss specific players, but are there teams out there that you've been watching this year that maybe have caught your eye, and do you plan on going to any of the uh, NCAA tournament games yourself and scouting? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been at the conference tournaments. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, Coach Adelman's got the got the uh, the main team well in hand, and the players are doing unbelievable. So uh, I've been focused on, uh, you know, looking for talent for next year and i'll be at uh, all those games and uh i've become a big uh, texas fan of i've uh obviously getting uh, assimilated a bit down to texas uh, where i'm new to the area and uh you know i'm hoping they can make a run i'm making uh you know i'm doing a pool bracket like everyone else and based on your quantitative analysis do you have any uh teams that i should be looking at for my pool well, you know, I'm still focused on players. Uh, it's a little sad, actually. I was always more focused on teams. I haven't looked at it, but uh, yeah, I'm going to have to look at it soon to to get ready for the uh, get ready for the Rockets. Uh, Shane Batty runs the uh, the pool, and I know he'll never win because he picks Duke every year. Yeah, that's a good point. Hey, Daryl, thank you so much. Uh, guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's a steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Daryl, again, continued success, and thanks so much for taking time to join us. Thanks for having Brian. And uh, is there a Morton's in El Paso? That's what I'm going to be. I'm, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is. And uh, if you want, we can call ahead and make reservations for you. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon. Take care, Daryl. You're listening right. to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, General Motors and their Buick brand this week launched Tee Off with Tiger. It's a contest that offers participants a chance to win Buicks driven by Tiger Woods at golf tournaments. Woods will also serve as the grand prize winner's personal caddy for nine holes on October 20th at Torrey Pines. You can go to www.teeoffwithtiger.com. For more information, but you must predict 
Tiger's score for all 72 holes in any one of the estimated 15 tournaments he will play during the promotion, which runs through September 28th, the final day of the season-ending PGA Championship uh, event. For each event, the person who guesses the most holes correctly will win Woods' Buick, that it's his courtesy car that he actually drives. They also get a plaque that's signed by Tiger Woods, and then the 10 closest will be eligible for the grand prize. Bobby, I'd love to play golf, and I'd love it even more if Tiger Woods would carry my bag and give me some golf tips. I'd rather have Tiger play with me, but still, I wouldn't mind having him on the bag. It'd be great, wouldn't it? No, but seriously, this is why Tiger Woods makes $100 million a year in endorsements. He goes to lengths that most athletes don't go to to do promotions like this. And let's give Buick some credit here. A lot of people thought, hey, Tiger should sign with BMW, Mercedes, Land Rover, someone like that. He signed with Buick. He's had a great relationship with them, and they come up with outside-the-box promotions like this every year. This is another good one. Lots of thank yous on our show this week. Daryl Morey, the general manager of the red-hot Houston Rockets. Good to catch up with him. He's a rookie GM, but what a year he's having The streak that the Rockets have been on has just been nothing short of amazing. They have been the story in the NBA in the second half of the season. Great to catch up with him. Tyler Epp, the GM of Hall of Fame Racing, uh, he does a tremendous job with them. He's become our NASCAR expert, gave us some great insight into uh, the business of NASCAR, what it's like to uh, run a team, how much money goes into these NASCAR teams. That was very helpful this week. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. We want to thank our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast anytime you want. If you miss us on the radio, just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Have yourself a tremendous week. We'll talk to you next weekend. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com.